0: Welcome to the Market Pulse Podcast from Equifax, where we break down the latest economic and credit insights to help you navigate today's business landscape. Welcome
1: to the Market Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Harden, and I'm a member of the risk advisory practice here at Equifax. Collectively, this team supports our clients by providing insight and guidance on how to navigate economic uncertainty and uncover hidden opportunities. Today, we're going to take a look backwards and forwards. Did economists miss the mark in 2023? And what is 2024 shaping up to look like? My panel of experts include the following esteemed reindeer. Thomas Aleph, aka Dancer, the reindeer with the most flair and elegance, (laughs) as you can see. Tom O'Neill, aka Blitzen, never one to back down or give up in the face of adversity. Dave Soika, aka Comet is the strongest of all the reindeer and is known for being stubborn and loyal. (laughs) Maria Urtubi, aka Donner. She's a reindeer not to be messed with. She keeps all the other reindeer in line. (laughs) And I'm Jesse Harden, aka Rudolph, the youngest and the most famous reindeer of all. Hey, it's the perks of the job. Welcome, everyone. I'm happy to have you all with us today. And before we dive in, I just want to give a big shout out to our listeners. The Equifax Risk Advisors were very excited to start a podcast in 2023, and we're now a year in. We thank you all for listening, and I'm excited to say you can expect big things from this podcast in 2024. Also, we love feedback. If you're listening and have an idea what you want to hear more about in 2024, please drop us an email at riskadvisors at equifax.com. But let's do this. Before we begin, let's kick things off with a quick economic update from David Fieldhouse, Director of Consumer Analytics at Moody's
2: Analytics. David? Last week we talked about the health of the economy. This week I want to talk about where credit markets are heading. Uh, and we are seeing some deceleration, and this is a, a trend that is likely going to continue to the end of next year. You know, we can look at consumer debt, we can look at corporate debt. On the corporate side, we're actually seeing New issuance it has yet to reach the levels that it was in 2022 you know given that there's a lot of economic uncertainty and high interest rates firms are just exercising caution our baseline forecast is expecting uh, outstanding corporate debt to increase to 5.1 percent this year and slowing to 3.9 percent next year and 4.2 percent in 2025 and these are growth rates below the pre-pandemic average just to put that in perspective on the consumer side uh, annual balance growth peaked at around 8% in April 2022, and it's moderated to 3.3% uh, in the 18 months since. This slowdown has been broad-based on the consumer side uh, with every product segment decelerating over this time frame. and this trend is definitely going to continue through 2024 when the uh, Federal Reserve transitions from a restrictive to a more accommodating monetary policy stance. Performance will wane in coming quarters. Um, higher interest rates and softer economic growth will pressure marginal firms, leading to more corporate delinquency in 2024, and consumer credit performance will also soften, though the increase in delinquency and default weights will only bring the, the market to or just beyond level of stress experienced in late 2019. Barring a recession, uh, you know, a sharp increase in either corporate or consumer credit defaults is unlikely.
1: Thanks, David. So economists will freely admit they've made some mistakes in predictions for the year. In fairness, though, if predicting were easier, everyone could do it and we wouldn't need experts. I'm going to talk about three of the obvious macro trends uh, where predictions were, uh, were maybe a little bit off the mark. And then I'm going to turn it over to my colleagues to talk a little bit more about the the vertical specific trends that we saw. Uh, first, inflation. When we think of where inflation is, uh, you know, it's it's gone from from nine to nine percent to just over three percent. When we think about transitory inflation, you know probably nobody predicted that we would have been at 9% inflation nor that inflation would have lasted this long we know that inflation has had a pronounced impact on on consumers you know but i do want to talk about as well the stability of the us consumer and i would say that that's another area where you know it's fairly hard to predict that the consumer would have been as strong as they have been thinking of the amount that the U.S. consumer has spent and continues to spend, whether that's, I mean, we could debate whether or not that's a good thing for the consumer. But, you know, we have seen that consumers have propped up the economy with, you know, with the spending. And really, uh, you know, we see that that's going to continue into 24 in the future. As well, when we look at the labor market, I think the success that, that the labor market has had, we've, we've seen, you know, record job creation still uh, month over month. And, Though things are slowing down a little bit, I think obviously the predictions that were made, again, in the face of high inflation, and even some of the earlier customer layoffs that we saw, I think the the fact that we're now seeing stability in the labor market is really a testament to um, to where the the strength of this economy lies. So now I want to turn it over to Tom Ayliff to talk a little bit about the auto space. So Tom, can you talk a little
3: bit about what
1: we saw in 2023?
3: I think looking at auto, you know some interesting things that were you know coming up, of course, bubbling to the top at the end of twenty twenty two were. Uh, Of course, high interest rates, supply chain, uh, you know, challenges, and uh, you know the uh, ensuing recessionary fears that still, you know, you know are around. You know, various times, even even today, some of those things. We're not hearing much about supply chain uh, challenges as much these days, but of course, interest rates and inflation are are still there. And so, a lot of what that did was create a uh, almost like a reduction, or there's expectation for reduction in. Uh, Demand of some kind in the industry now, given you know things you know where they are with respect to interest rates being high, inflation kind of holding. You know we had massive increase in inflation over the last couple of years within the auto space, with prices rising to what they were. You know prices have you know started to come down, but not to you know to an expectation of what they were, and a lot of that really resulted in you know some backlog that occurred uh, during that time. Now we did also thinking about from a recessionary pressure, and this is you know something that's been interesting we've covered over time is like where are things you know occurring from a delinquency standpoint. And I would say that the the market within the subprime auto sector is where delinquencies have really been uh you know happening the most. There's been extension of terms that, you know, that have occurred. So a lot of the things we're observing are about what we expected, but there's going to be continued pressure with respect to the auto payments rising, you know, during that time, the average payment on the on our entire database, you know, over the last, you know, four years really we talked about this a few few weeks ago, grew about eighty five dollars per month, depending on the car loan. So I, I think th- those are some trends that we had some expectations, some uh, you know belief that were going to occur, but we've not seen really the the values drop, and uh, you know I guess subsequent demand change as a result.
0: Yeah. Hey, Tom. Interesting that you were mentioning the subprime sector as part of the delinquencies because i recall and it was probably around this time last year that that i recall seeing some predictions coming out saying that because of the the rises in both new and used autos because of the tightening of credit because of the the rise in delinquencies that we were seeing in the subprime space in the auto auto field that the the market in general was moving towards almost a you know, a split yeah, type of origination Market where there were going to be fewer and fewer people who could actually afford both new and used cars and and it was being looked at as as potentially not a sustainable yet yeah, Trend I was wondering if 2023 fleshed that out a little bit if, if we're still seeing some of that or if uh it started to ease back a little bit yeah, I mean,
3: there's definitely from, you know, the things we talked about with the separation in the market from where, yeah, I guess, where consumers have uh, cash flow and where they don't uh, you know, have that. We have seen some of that occur, you know, specifically, I guess that's across all asset classes in the sense that, uh, you know, consumers are able to, you know, some are able to afford their monthly payments you know, with ease, but then others are not necessarily. And that's where we're starting to see some of that uh, payment hierarchy pinch come in. And and specifically within the auto space, like on the on that lower end of the market, it it has I think personal loans has the highest rate of delinquencies, you know, on average per asset class, and then auto is not too far from that with respect to the you know comparison. But and a lot of that is happening in the subprime space.
1: Yeah, that's great insight. So Maria, let's shift to you. Tell me about some key themes then uh, for 2023 in the banking and credit uh, space.
4: Thank you, Jesse. Um, I would have to say I'm um, going back to Tom's question about. The one topic maybe that we envision taking on more importance than it actually than what actually happened, I would have to say the federal student loan uh, situation. COVID federal student loan forbearance or moratorium was in effect for more than three years, and student loan payment suspension came to an end in August of this year. Operation Fresh Start had benefited almost 8 million in delinquency and collection status with a clean or fresh start on their credit reports with the associated boost to their credit scores. But the forgiveness of $10,000 or up to $20,000 for some households was struck down by the Supreme Court in June. And while the Department of Education instituted a 12-month on-ramp to repayment from October through September of next year, interest resumed this September and payments resumed last month. The restart of the student loan debt payments already had many borrowers concerned, uh, Thomas referred to, and some people were eligible for loan forgiveness. Economists from the University of Chicago estimated an additional 12,000 or more in credit card mortgage and car loan debt as well, that whether in full or partial aspects, uh, after the fixes to the income driven repayment plans under the public service loan forgiveness or the borrower defense rule. The savings on Available education income-driven uh, repayment plan or SAFE for short sure does cut back to aside the changes in servicers and the servicers' own confusion of what or how and when to report in payments in a year. It allows many borrowers to even make zero payments the majority of these consumers are still assessing what to do and how all these changes will affect them. And that is leaving, and it's not any different with lenders. So again, while the importance of this, this topic was expected to be a little bit more centerfold, um, it didn't fully uh, develop until, I would say, mid of this year versus earlier on.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So I guess the projection or the prediction was uh, how many times could we actually punt the repayment start down the road, huh?
4: Yes. Seven, eight more.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's funny you say that,
5: Maria, with the student loans. I was listening, you know, just had not you listened yet, uh, the Moody's podcast. Uh, Zandy called out the student loan repayment as being a non-issue right now. And and while it's it's okay to say that, right, we are a month in. Like, let's see what we talked about last month's podcast about what we thought about retail sales and let's see how that plays out let's see what the consumer spent and let's see how they repay it and then we'll see how they manage their budgets
1: yeah it's a good point actually dave i think you know when you think about the size of the student loan uh, you know book of business as well i mean it's certainly it's pales in comparison to to mortgage but it's uh, you know it still is one of the larger Asset classes. All right, Mr. O'Neill. Yes, Rudolph. Uh, you were talking about credit unions, and you know, and the and the fact you heard a lot of uh, strong predictions. Tell me a little bit about that space in twenty three.
0: Yeah, I, I was. I was actually surprised when we were getting ready for this podcast. I was like, let me let me dust off those notebooks from uh, from late twenty two and see what we were talking about back then, and and see uh, see how we did. And actually, I was kind of kind of surprised. What was top of mind as people were heading into 2023 actually was relevant. <laughs> you know, we, you know we we're talking about a lot of missed predictions, but in the credit union space, a lot of what they were looking at and focused on heading into the year was, in fact, what they were. Focused on and, and what were the main items of impact? Of course, we could turn around and say, well, it was kind of obvious in hindsight, but yeah, not a, everything always is because the the main thing, you know, item number one, that was top of mind, yeah, you know, in terms of forecasting for 2023, you know, this time last year. Was the interest rate environment? It was. It was what everyone was uh, strategizing around. Yeah, you know, they were looking at it, saying, "Well, the interest rates give us an opportunity to have you know, nice net interest margins, but on the flip side, you know, the cost of funds is going to eat all that up, and and it's going to impact on things like deposit preservation and liquidity and so forth." So it was certainly top of mind, and in fact, that is something that has been dominant through the year. Uh, is the interest rate environment and the consequences of that interest rate environment and dealing with it. One other thing though and and this is probably something that that will be of surprise to people who aren't familiar with the credit union space, but one one other topic that was of top concern yeah heading into 2023 was actually the ability to attract talent. Yeah, there is a shortage in, in the CU space. And I think overall, the feeling in 2022 was that it was a little bit better than it was back in 2021. This is actually something that's been going on for a few years, but it's still an issue. And, uh, you know, a bit of a spoiler alert as we look to 2024, it's still, you know, something that people are are focused on. Uh, but then turning to, I'd, I'd call it, you know, I'd lump a couple of different things into the third topic, and that's, you know, around, you know, Technical uh, investment. You know, a lot of uh, credit unions this time last year were looking at you know, potentially implementing you know, new account opening apps, both on the commercial and the consumer side. Uh, that's something that a lot of them had been saying the year before, and it's something that a lot of them are still saying. You know? um, so uh, there is there is a strong. Sense of, okay, this is the year we're going to do it. This is the year we're going to do it. And we'll see if 2024 actually is the year that they do it. And you know, to, to give a notion of the scale of that, about 87% of credit unions did actually launch a digital transformation strategy. Implementing new platforms, it's putting in a, a new strategy, which they plan to, to develop over the, the next year. And so when when I look back on that and and see what's what's actually happened during the course of 2023, it uh, becomes apparent that what was top of mind this time last year were actually some of the key themes that that played through for credit unions over 2023. That's uh, interesting, Tom. I
1: I wonder if and maybe it's not so much credit union, but I I wonder if the the banking crisis that we saw. I mean, that was one I think was probably a not foreseen in terms of
0: predictions that
1: certainly threw a monkey wrench into things
0: yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, and and I think we we couldn't have predicted SVB or or anything like that but the environment that we found ourselves in yeah made those what otherwise would have been smaller headlines into larger headlines with with larger ramifications I think
1: yeah yeah definitely all right Dave tell me about uh, fintechs and BNPLs where are we uh, were you we there for 23? Uh, yeah, thanks, Jesse. The biggest takeaway that didn't
5: happen was regulatory guidance from the CFPB around BNPL. We and many others expected because the CFPB suggested that they would issue guidance in the summer of this year, and that came and went. That was probably the biggest miss, um, although maybe not as uh, as important because it's still business as usual. You know, heading into the year, you know, you know rates were not. I don't know that anybody expected all the rate increases that we had this year and expected some. And so with that, I think, you know, the fintechs thought that they would have a robust income and cash flow to to continue to lend. But as the rates rose, as they started to see delinquencies rise from, you know, lending during the COVID uh, period, as well as just afterwards, where many of our customers... Claimed they saw score inflation, that those those loans started to underperform, and with that, the VCs decided that they needed better returns and that they would want better quality, and so started to squeeze the fintechs for better loan performance, and so lending standards got tightened a bit, kind of going back to BNPL, and so BNPL kind of has evolved. Uh, I don't necessarily think that BNPL started the year with only the pay-in four. So what that is is over a six-week Time period at twenty five percent. The initial payment is made, and then over the next six weeks, you have three more payments to make at two week increments, uh, and that is interest free. As credit quality has declined, fintechs are now, or and or BNPL issuers are now putting some higher standards on that. They're charging interest rates for the riskier piece. We've seen BNPL started with you know Peloton and, and going and, and getting you know your Gap jeans and so on. But now you can do groceries. There's medical buy now, pay later. There is pet medical buy now, pay later. So I think the explosion of what truly is not, let's say buy now, pay later, but really point of sale uh, finance has really kind of taken off and, and the market has really grown around that. And then the other piece is, you know, it's not just for fintechs anymore. Traditional banks are starting to offer BNPL themselves because they want to be in that market. While it was rumbled that this would probably be happening, I think the the number of what I'll call you know Main Street lending institutions that are now offering BNPL or are looking to offer BNPL has significantly changed the marketplace, because ultimately, you know, kind of what the, I think you know one of the topics we have for later is the you know what's coming next is as these fintechs struggle with cash flow, struggle with higher lending standards, have great technology. Are they a candidate for acquisition from the from the more traditional banks? And so might there be consolidation you know, on, on the horizon? I don't know if that's going to be the the big piece. But ultimately, you know, again, fintechs have great that that's how they get the, you know, how they earn their, their keep with great technology and innovative thinking from and, and lending and the traditional uh, lenders who maybe don't have that capability but have the funds necess- you know necessary to acquire might be looking at doing
1: that yeah dave you bring up a good point when you think about the vc funding that a lot of these fintechs got you know it seems like they would have an exit strategy you know so i i it's interesting that you bring that up i do think that there probably is an opportunity to see quite a bit of uh maybe transition or mergers uh and acquisitions activity in that in that space great well thanks Dave.
4: to add and we've talked about this as well um the aspect of the point of sale credit card feature right as a credit card feature as you were saying versus partner um aspect from the fintech provider right so i see that international credit card benefit uh, that we see elsewhere coming also into play I'm, I'm i'm with you we've discussed this as well and yeah
0: yeah and pulling back yeah going back to the the credit union yeah topic as it relates to fintech that's actually another one that i didn't mention you know, was was thought going into 2023 that there would be less of an emphasis on fintech partnerships, you know, within the the credit union space. And quite frankly, I haven't seen any numbers to confirm or deny whether that actually happens. Yeah, you know, so it'd be interesting to see as we look ahead to 2024 and what's what a lot of people are talking about now. If that credit union fintech partnership and actually quite frankly the fintech banking industry you know, overall, if that partnership is solidifying or or starting to to taper off yeah well so let's have some fun when
1: we look at themes for the upcoming year you know i'd like to just spend a second and and have each of you talk a little bit about some of the themes you see for your verticals i'll start with the u.s economy and then hit mortgage uh certainly i think the theme that we would see is uh is is uh, inflation and the impacts of interest rates certainly that's being felt by consumers. And we continue, we, we, we feel like that will, uh, you know, certainly have an impact in, in 2024. Also, again, you know, thinking of the, the impact of the Fed funds rates on originations. So I think those are, you know, probably two key themes that we'll, uh, we'll see again in 2024. Uh, Tom Ayliff, tell me a little bit about auto, where do you see themes for next year?
3: I think the big key themes are going to be carryovers of what we've already been talking about for some time with uh, student loans being in repayment. It creates a you know potential shock to the entire system, and you know depending on where things go with that. And so with uh, within auto, you know definitely wanting to be you know examining with the massive increase and in boom of uh, new originations we saw in the 2021-22 timeframes. We're going to be entering into a you know twenty four to thirty six month uh, you know time on book for those uh, those accounts. And how does the amortization scale? Schedule, compare with the vehicle values, and so depending on how things, uh, you know, perform in, in that category or any any level of age of the vehicle in the used car market in particular, will that have any impact in terms of like you know servicing those vehicles? Or are they breaking down? And will delinquencies rise as a result of that? So, of course, managing you know to the expectation of uh, things that we've been you know, talking about, I, I'm hoping that we're going to see a prediction and increased portfolio reviews. Uh, you know, specifically be able to help uh, you know manage some of this uh, you know th- you know through the market as well, and and it does. Doesn't matter if you, you know, take any actions, just really assess and appraise the situation to be able to know what to do.
1: Thanks, Tom. That's great. Maria, how about banking and credit for twenty four?
4: Yeah, I would have to add to what Thomas was saying, which is part of the student loan scenario or changing scenario is that I expect to see more strategic defaulters uh, while the prudent payers, such as those, the 3.5% that was continuing to pay during the moratorium could increase. The group in the middle, I think would be the one dr- uh, driven by all this uncertainty about uh, or, or from income uh, repayment plans that are still not fully disclosed. So I think that we, we might see a shift in that distribution of, of payers, non-payers, um, and the like. And and then the, the other um, theme that, that carries over also from this year is affordability. Uh, this is driven by inflation and by rising interest rates. Uh, you were referring to mortgages. They've just reached uh, 8%. Credit card average interest rate is at 22%. So there's expensive credit uh, that consumers are now carrying, and, and it's going to be costlier credit if, if you are trying to to have access to that, let alone in in the auto um, space that uh, Thomas was referring to as well earlier. The consumer sentiment in general, I think, has shifted, and uh, that sort of gloomier uh, perspective compared to economists now talking about soft landing when they originally talked about recession, I think will will come in uh, or accompany that uh, affordability aspect of of spending.
1: That's uh, insightful. Thanks, Maria. Mr. O'Neill, how about credit unions?
0: Yeah, well, I, I think it's safe to say that the theme of interest rates you know, will obviously you know, be be important. So, but that's already been brought up, so I'm not going to go there. Yeah, but uh, but it's safe to say that that's something that's going to be top of mind you know, as as we move forward. And I already uh, spoke about the the staffing issues. You know, when I was describing the predictions for 2023, so I won't go there either. But what I'll what I'll do instead is uh, you know, talk about a theme that right now is sort of uh gaining steam from a talk perspective and that is ai you know artificial intelligence it's it's interesting here we are in uh in late 23 and you know the whole sci-fi talk is actually you know, starting to take up steam and and in many places actually starting to become manifest so within the credit union space you know it's we're looking at it, and, and people are looking at it as as a panacea of, of something that that could you know bring about you know some some huge steps forward, uh, but right now yeah it's it's in the early stages. So I'm I'm interested to uh, continue to watch that theme over 2024 and see where that develops. Yeah, I think
1: we definitely all are in our uh, in our verticals. Last but not least uh, Dave, tell us about FinTech BNPL what's the one key theme you'd take away? yeah I think the
5: the, the main theme for the coming year is going to be our regulation and compliance. Um, we've seen BNPL fall under regulatory scrutiny in Australia and in the UK, other countries as well and will that uh, will that regulation or, or you know, regulatory requirements finally, be issued uh, here in the U.S. And you know, why is that important? Well, again, uh, there's there's a cost to meet regulatory compliance from you know from staffing, from technology, and so really, how does you know how do the fintechs, the BNPL lenders, respond and still
1: maintain their their revenue target? That's my
5: one big theme for uh, fintechs for next year.
1: I want to again thank you guys, Maria, Tom, Dave, Tom for joining us today. To our listeners, again, I hope you enjoyed today's topic and uh, some of the banter that we had. If you have questions or suggestions for future podcasts, please again, reach out to us at riskadvisors at Equifax.com. We certainly look forward to hearing from you. Again, thanks everybody and have a happy holiday.
2: The information and opinions provided in this podcast are intended as general guidance only and are subject to change without notice. The views presented during the podcast are those of the presenter as of the date this podcast was recorded and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Equifax. Investor analysts should direct inquiries using the contact us box on the investor relations section at Equifax.com.